publishing industry has been built off of people who previously had the privilege to publish their works and to share their knowledge and so essentially like its foundations are based on privilege and elitism and so deconstructing that is a very hard thing to do. I am beyond excited to have Muriel Harper with us today. She's a writer, editor, sensitivity reader and PR. She writes about arts and culture as well as societal and topical issues and has contributed to British Vogue, Digital Spy, Guap and so much more as well as contributed to some books which is pretty incredible. She's also a PR communications consultant specializing in creative, cultural and community-led projects and has worked with Punch Records, VYP Network, Shoutout Network and so so much more. She is very famous for being a contributor to Timelines of Everyone and the altar of Timelines from Black History. This is an incredible conversation for anyone who's interested in the publishing industry and beyond, as you will see from our convo. So, here is Muriel. Thank you so much for being here with the I Like Networking podcast. Um, before we dive into everything that you do, can you just quickly introduce yourself, what is it that you do, mm-hmm. where you're from, and mm-hmm. where you're based, if that's different, mm-hmm. if, you know, pending on COVID restrictions? Yeah, um, well, my name's Mi Ray. Um, I'm an editor at Square Peg, which is an imprint within Penguin Random House UK, um, and outside of my job, I'm a writer, an editor, sensitivity reader, and PR. Um, and I'm both from London and currently living in London. I grew up in Greater London uh, and I moved about two, three years ago more into South London. Um, so, yeah, London born and bred. Amazing. We have a few of those in our in our group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not as common as one would think living in London, to be honest. Mm. So uh, can you tell us, what was the worst job experience you've ever had? And uh, yeah, this can be like a moment, an internship, something really cringe that happened, anything that, you know, bring back some memories. Yeah, I mean, I would say like before I was in the job I'm in now, um, that was not a very enjoyable work experience. I, I feel like I've always worked since I was like 16. So I've had a lot of like varied job experiences some positive, some negative. Um, But I guess the job I had before the one I'm currently in was probably one of the most, like, not enjoyable experiences that I've had. Um, And it was a shame because I I was in publishing and I was actually working on pretty good books. Um, And I had, I did work with some people who were really great and I made friends where I worked, but it was just like a very toxic work culture. and I didn't have the most supportive manager, I would say. So I think that was probably one of the worst job experiences. Um, and yeah, like, uh, yeah, when I left, I just felt like a weight had been lifted. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, it was a strange time. I'd been in the job for like a year and I knew from about a month in that it wasn't right. And it's that weird feeling of being like, oh no, I can't leave. I've just joined. I'll ride it out. And then at like the six month mark, that's when I really started applying for other jobs because I was just very unhappy. Um, And then fortunately, after 12 months, I managed to get a different job and moved. Um, But yeah, I feel like it was probably about three months after I'd actually left the job that I really realized 
how much I hadn't enjoyed it there um, and how much better the environment I was in, like, and still am in now, um, yeah, was better than what I basically had endured (laughs) before. Um, So, yeah, that's, I guess, a small recap of the worst job experience I've ever That's had. Good. I'm sorry you had that. That doesn't sound good at all. I think a lot of people have at least one really toxic environment experience in their lives, yeah. which I wish uh, it could be something of the past, but sadly it isn't. And I think it's across every single industry and the sector of the creative industry so far. 100%. But I'm glad that you found a better place now. Yeah. And you are an editor, right? So you mm-hmm. actually decide or help to decide what is going to be published. Yeah. Which I'd imagine is something of a dream job for everyone, anyone who loves books, I'd say. Yeah. But how did you first, first of all, get your foot in the industry? And I would also like to know if this, you know, being a writer and working with books and publishing mm-hmm. was something that you always wanted to do. Like, how does this path developed for you yeah so I guess um I kind of like came into it by error um so I did languages at university and I guess when I went to university my plan was to become a fashion buyer and that was something I was really interested in um and I did all the kind of uh beginner exams for a lot of graduate schemes so the like TJX Europe one, the Arcadia group one, etc. But I just basically failed all of them because they were based on numerical tests. Um, so I had, had to kind of just like rethink what I wanted to do. Um, and I ended up doing a two week work experience placement at Penguin in their children's department within editorial. And at the time it was like completely unpaid. Um, and I just did it like on a whim because I'd just come back from my year abroad and yeah and I just loved it like I didn't feel like I learned the whole scope of everything but I knew just the environment and just the the joy that you got from working it it like within books was something I wanted to be a part of um and then after that in my fourth year I just basically tried to throw myself into every book related thing I could so um in my final year I got involved in a lot of arts and culture stuff in Birmingham um so I was involved with Birmingham Lit Festival I did um a work experience placement at Pact which was like a tech publisher um and I just like tried writing more and more I'd been I'd been writing since I was like 18 just like student websites and things like that um but I really ramped it up and I was just writing more and more as much as I could And then when I was getting towards like the end of my degree, I was applying for loads of jobs, um, both in publishing and outside of publishing. Um, But I applied for a traineeship with Hachette, um, which was called Fresh Chapters and was basically centred towards um, bringing black and ethnic minority people into the publishing industry because they have a real like diversity problem, basically. Um, And I managed to get onto that traineeship and I spent six months in editorial in one section of Hachette and then another six months in marketing. And at the end of that, I managed to secure a job um, as an editorial assistant and then was there for a year and then basically applied to Penguin, got an assistant editor position. Um, and then this year was promoted to being an editor. So it was kind of like a lot of different paths took me 
to this point. And I think a lot of things had helped. So for instance, like from the age of 18, when I got to uni, I, I wanted to do something on the side. So I did a lot of freelance writing and it wasn't paid at first. I wasn't paid for like four years, but it really helped me to hone in on my like writing skills, my copywriting skills, my creativity. And I think just having that alongside the work experience and the traineeship really just did give me some leverage in terms of my passion and my interests and like just my willingness to want to work in the industry. Um, so yeah, that's sort of how I came into it, like sort of by error, but but in a good way. But that's fascinating. I love that you went into this like apprenticeship without a lot of expectations and mm-hmm. then you were like, oh my God, this is the place for me. I think that's actually quite lucky that you were not lucky. Obviously you worked for it, but mm-hmm. it's good that your like apprenticeship was something that you connected with right yeah. from the get-go because I guess it made it easier for you to pivot from what you thought you were going to do to then what you do right now, yeah, right? definitely. And thanks for sharing all of that. And I think sharing that you wrote for free and you did all this, you know, unpaid stuff. I know that's a big issue in the industry Mm -hmm. at large that we have but I think you know short-term work experiences can be super valuable for you to just really understand what is it that people actually do because I think we read Mm -hmm. job you know applications and you don't really get a sense of okay well what what does it actually entail on a day-to-day basis right especially if you don't have any role models around you that do exactly that or are in that area yeah exactly so With that said, can you give us a quick overview of what your day-to-day kind of looks like as an editor? Gosh. To start. (laughs) Yeah, um, well, it's chaotic. Um, It involves, it's it's essentially like part editor, part project manager, part troubleshooter, um, part carer. Um, it's like 10 jobs in one Um, I guess the main thing I do is manage my titles so um, in the in a year Square Peg publishes 10 to 12 books so I'm essentially overseeing the processes of all of those books um, as they go through each thing so whether it's like a cookbook and I'm making sure like we've got the photo shoot on track and that recipes are copy edited and all of that jazz or whether it's that I'm doing an edit for a new nonfiction book that's come in. Um, so yeah, it's like managing the current titles I have, um, keeping an eye on the old titles that we've published. So making sure they're not going out of stock on Amazon, making sure the copy is up to date, checking in with the authors. And then the other side of it is reading submissions and seeing if I'm going to take those forward. Um, so like I receive submissions from agents, I read them, I present them internally and then I take them forward to a few meetings and eventually bid for them. Um, So that's a little bit, I guess, of what I do, but it's, it's very broad. It kind of covers like working on contracts, supporting on marketing and publicity, managing the socials, attending a lot of meetings um, and then editing, which is supposed to be the main job, but ends up being the side job. Um, But yeah, essentially being an editor is like being a project manager on 10 to 12 different projects at a time (laughs) so it's a it's um it's an interesting job but it's really fun um and it's really varied and it's constantly fast-paced so if you like um doing lots of different things and not being like pigeonholed into one task then I think you'd probably enjoy it 
that's amazing. Thanks for that overview. And I am really interested in one aspect of the whole thing because I've never worked in publishing, mm -hmm. although I love books and I feel like I support a lot of the industry myself because I've never in my life been able to go inside a bookshop and not buy something. Yeah. So, uh, and I cannot read anything online. Like no, to the point that on Sundays I try to buy the paper so I can read it. <laughs> like I'm super allologic. I'm a dinosaur. But that's it. Uh, of course, when you work for different, you know, imprints and so on, you have to wear their hat, right? When looking at submissions. How easy is it for you to understand, well, this is going to be great for our audience or this is something that I really enjoy reading? Yeah. Is that something that comes natural to you? Is that something that you need to worry about? Yeah, I mean, that's a massive part of it. I guess the first thing I look at is if I think it's a good concept, first and foremost. So if I think people would want to read it is um, a big thing for me. And then I also look at how it would fit into Square Peg. Um, so Square Peg has the ethos of being, basically, we publish books that stand out from the crowd. So whenever I'm reading submissions, I think to myself, does this stand out? Why does it stand out? Who's going to read it? Where are they going to buy it? All of these things tied into that main ethos. And then within that, um, within the kind of books that stand out from the crowd, we have six categories that we publish into. So I think, where does this fit in into these categories? Do we have enough books in that category? And we need to turn this down so that we've got space for another book. So I'm always like thinking strategically, but also thinking, um, from the perspective of a consumer, like, would they like this? Would they want to read it? Or is this just something I'm interested in? Um, and I always like to bring my own interests and my own passions into the books I acquire. But first and foremost, I'm thinking about the consumer and whether this is a book that they have not read before, but they need to read, essentially. That's a nice way to put it. Thanks for <laughs> telling us about that. I think I I think it would be super hard, of course, because you have to read so much as well, yeah. right? Like, it's insane. But I also wanted to talk about something else that you do. Well, be mm -hmm. besides being an editor and doing all those things, you write a lot, mm -hmm. and you recently wrote a really interesting piece. Well, not that recently, but recently enough for mm -hmm. Vogue, if I'm not mistaken, which was about your non up allyship guide mm -hmm. they pronounced that correctly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're also a sensitivity reader mm -hmm. so i like us I, I like you actually not us i like you to kindly mm -hmm. just explain to everyone what is a sensitivity reader yeah i mean essentially a sensitivity reader um and a lot they're a lot more known now as authenticity readers um but you can use either term. Um, so a sensitivity reader is essentially somebody who reads written material, whether for commercial or consumer per like purposes, and basically pulls out anything that could be seen as contentious, that adheres to a stereotype, um, or that just doesn't sound quite right. Um, so essentially, the job of the sensitivity reader is to assess the work and to pull out anything that is sensitive or could be construed sensitively by the reader and then to offer a suggestion or to offer their take on it so whether it's just like pulling it out completely or amending it or reshaping it basically um and I kind of again came into it 
through another angle. So I, after after I left university, um, during that the kind of holiday before I started my traineeship, I volunteered for a reggae festival in Birmingham, and I was helping on their PR and comms. Um, and because of that, I had some experience of PR and comms. Um, and then whilst I was on the traineeship, I got in touch with a woman who ran BYP, which is a networking app for black young professionals, because um, she was hiring freelancers and I wanted to do something outside of the traineeship. So I became BYP's PR and comms exec for two years outside of my job. And because of that, I was exposed to a lot of language around diversity, inclusion, equality, equity, equal access, um, and just kind of like that kind of language. Um, And so I had a lot of awareness around, I guess, things that could be viewed sensitively. Um, And then outside of that, I also began working with an actual diversity and inclusion consultancy um, made up of two women who were very, very... um, I guess, well-versed in the language around diversity and inclusion. So I had a lot of knowledge around those two areas. Um, And I basically ended up being commissioned by Dolan Kindersley, which is a children's publisher, to read their internal guidelines on diversity and inclusion. Um, And I guess that's how I kind of came into sensitivity reading um, in that way. And essentially what I was doing by looking at their um, internal DNI guidelines was pulling out anything I didn't feel was right or that I felt like could be worded in a different way. Um, and just offering, I guess, my expertise in terms of DNI, um, but also that thing of like, I knew what it was like to work in the publishing industry. So I knew where there were certain nuances that were missing or language that was lacking. And I guess from there is how I've just kind of continued. Um, after that, I started writing for DK um, and it was that's the sort of like almost like sensitivity writing so I was writing a lot about historical figures in a nuanced way um, and a more kind of authentic way which is very different to how a lot of children's history books have been written and yeah it's pretty much just continued from there in terms of working on manuscripts for different publishing houses and offering my feedback um, but yeah, essentially, that, that is the crux of sensitivity reading is looking at a work, seeing where things are perhaps written wrong or things that are contentious and reshaping them for today's modern readers. Yes. So I think, you know, from what you said and from what I know from your experience, you've been doing this work around diversity and inclusion actually for a long time. And obviously this year, with everything that's happened, that kind of, you know, became sort of more... I don't know how to put this mainstream. Yeah, <laughs> the conversation, um, and you've published a lot of interesting things on your social media as well. Mm-hmm. So how I don't know if you, if it's something you can like do it on a interview without preparation because I did not send you this question ahead mm-hmm. of time. But how do you see how how did things evolve or did not evolve? You think uh, throughout your time working in that sort of field or that space actually you know what you experience yourself in -hmm. terms of the publishing industry have things improved are there mistakes that keep being repeated over and over again I don't know is there anything that you saw that is different now and evolving or are we still battling the same issues from you know the 80s 
Um, I mean, I think things have developed somewhat. I think a lot of what was perhaps overt um, has now perhaps come covert. And I don't know if that's um, a good or a bad thing because it still it still means that there are behaviours and thought processes that are harmful that still exist. But people are not so brave perhaps to talk about them publicly anymore. Um, but I do think I do think particularly, I guess, within the industry I'm in, there has been a lot of change um, because I guess the publishing industry is very um, old and very traditional. And as a result, it's had to modernize to keep up with times and to keep up with um, modern audiences, basically. And that's not to say that I, that I think we are like on a home run. I think there's a lot of things that need to improve. I think there is still a lot of change that needs to be made. But I do feel like there is... A, there is somewhat progress. Um, but I do think it's that thing of, I completely agree with you in that I think a lot of us have been having these conversations and had been specifically as well having these conversations within the workplace. Um, but perhaps these were like relegated to conversations within networks or within private meetings. Whereas now, because people are being held accountable, brands are being held accountable, corporations being held accountable, these things have come out into the open. Um, a lot more essentially yeah I totally agree and I read it's interesting because you said you know you started working your first experience was in you know children's book and you did a lot of work for that but mm -hmm. I read a stat the other day about how few you know children's books are written by you know uh black people or black mm -hmm. authors or even diverse authors this yeah. is a big umbrella term which you know, uh, and I know that's a, a really big issue still. And I've, as I said, I've never worked in the publishing industry, but someone else from our, you know, group has and also mentioned that it was, there's still a lot of, you know, the same people that come from these like two big schools and everyone looks mm -hmm. the same. And obviously it's sort of something of what we want to change as well yeah. a little bit using I like networking, which is bringing more people together and like, you know, breaking the networking sort of structure so that more people can have these connections and potentially have a more diverse workforce because the people working in the background are the ones who make the difference from what is being, you know, consumed, right, yeah. at large. Mm -hmm. But thanks for sharing that. Did you, um, did you personally face any particular challenges in the industry or once you were in and people saw your work, it was fine? Or is this something that you still have to fight about to have your space? Um, I, over still, there? Yeah. I still think that there is there are difficulties in the publishing industry. I think that is because as well, the publishing industry has been built off of people who previously had the privilege to publish their works and to share their knowledge. And so, yeah, so, so it's always been essentially like its foundations are based on privilege and elitism. And so deconstructing that is a very hard thing to do. Um, and I still think there are a lot of areas that uh, like have a need for improvement. But again, I feel like a lot more publishers are being held accountable by both their staff and those who buy their books. Um, so it's harder to get away with what they were getting away with before. And I feel like there are a lot more conversations around accessibility, um, like the the I guess just how it how easy it is to get into publishing if you're not from a certain background these conversations are happening way more frequently. Um, and 
yeah, and, and pu- I feel like publishers are becoming way more proactive. And also as a result of the staff. So like a lot of, I feel like a lot of external action is really coming from um, like, yeah, from internally from colleagues who are wanting to make a change, um, whether that's because they identify with the backgrounds that are different, like that we don't often find in publishing or whether it's that they are using their privilege to create a space for those who don't have as much privilege. So I feel like there's a lot of progression at the moment, both in terms of like hiring, in terms of publishing output, um, etc. But I'm still at that point where I think we do have a way to go until we reach a point where the publishing industry is entirely ethical, entirely diverse and inclusive. I think there's a massive focus on diversity, but not so much on inclusivity and retention um and I think we also just have to look at everything that comes around publishing so I think when we talk about publishing it's easy for us to make change within the industry we're in but we also need to look at things like where are we selling our books who has access to our books who is able to afford these books are the streams of production ethical like the places that we print the places that we bind these books I think those are the conversations we need to be having. And also we need to look in terms of the relationships we have with people. So in terms of marketing, are the brands that we work with ethical? Are they also working in an inclusive and diverse environment? And the same for like our PRs, are the journalists and the publications they're going to also perpetuating stereotypes about people or negative? Um, I think it's it's sort of it's a publishing thing, but it's also a kind of just industry wide thing because publishing is tied to so many different industries. And I think if you are addressing some of the things within your organization and within your industry, you also need to address the other industries that you have relationships with. Um, So to do that would involve a lot of deconstructing (laughs) um, and a lot of kind of pulling apart um, the systems that we have um, and whether that is going to come just yet. I'm not very sure. I think it would take quite a while to get to that point. Yeah, I yes. Absolutely. I think that's really interesting. I hadn't actually considered all the implications of the publishing industry mm-hmm. at large and what does that represent, you know, but yeah, that's a great sort of prompt, I think, for everyone to question from their own industries of mm-hmm. the secondary things that you need to worry about. But it's good that we're able to at least have these conversations, which I think you've actually been quite vocal about the causes that you're care about on your social media Mm -hmm. and is this something that was always easy for you to do or would were you ever you know afraid of getting any backlash or that you know harming you in terms of the of getting of working and progressing in the industry um that's a hard one I think I've always been happy to speak out um and to just yeah share my thoughts on things purely probably just because of the type of personality I have um I don't think those have always been easy conversations to have and I think in some situations as well I've identified where things might not be a safe space for me to voice certain concerns or things might damage my career or um damage my position especially in the editorial assistant position I had I did not feel comfortable in the environment I was in to speak up so much about certain things but when I left, I was able to construe a lot of um, 
my concerns and a lot of things that I had experienced in a way um, that would make change. But that was after I left because I then felt it was safe for me to do so. Um, But I think overall, I've always been able to express myself within the industry. um, And even within that specific organisation I was in, it was part of a wider company. So within the wider company, I felt like I could make change and I could speak up but it was just within the um immediate organization I was in I didn't feel so much as safe to have like to basically voice those concerns okay Mm. thanks for sharing that that's really interesting and I think it's always great to hear how people position themselves and try to change things on the inside you know um we have a lot of mentees who are either in publishing or want to get into it or are writers. And so this is a topic that really interests them. They, mm-hmm. We have some really interesting people in our group. But with that said, do you have any special tip for anyone hoping to get into the publishing industry, especially? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing for me is identifying why you want to work in publishing, what you think you could bring to the publishing industry and what you want to do within the publishing industry I think it's really good to think broadly when you are first looking at jobs what is it about this industry that draws you in and then the second thing I would say is working out what you want to do I find so many people who go into publishing are like oh I want to get into publishing because I'm a writer or I want to get into publishing because I love reading and that's great but it's also good to really identify what you'd like to do within the industry so is it that you really love reading material and reshaping it and working on lots of different books at a time? If so, maybe editorials for you. But at the same time, there's marketing, there's publicity, there's rights, there's production, um, there's finance. There are so many different arms within publishing. And I think it's really important that people are not pigeonholed into one area of publishing because it's so broad and there are so many different jobs that appeal to different people's strengths. So... In my head, I think it's just important to work out what area you want to be in based on your skill set and based on your interests. And then understanding a bit more of that, doing a bit of research into what that job might entail. And then looking more broadly at like what kind of organisation do you want to work with? And I think because trade publishing is just so kind of consumer facing, we often think that publishing is solely fiction books and non-fiction books but there are there's a massive world that isn't particularly penguin or hachette or bloomsbury you've got academic publishers you've got independent publishers you have very literary publishers so it's worth having a look at the type of environment you want to be in and then i think the last thing is kind of just developing yourself outside of publishing um i feel like a big thing of the industry is that so many people come in who have kind of read the same books or have a very pigeonholed vision of publishing through what they take in but I think it's brilliant to bring in your own interests and your own hobbies so whether that's that you are a theatre buff on the side or you run a cinema blog or there's something just a little bit different like I think it's worth always just having like an interest um, or a passion outside of publishing but that might also include a skill set or an area of interest that you can then bring into the industry because I think so much about that is 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 kind of you coming in with your unique vision um, and something different so that you can then create change and make an impact on the industry. I love that. Yeah, we had our conversation once with one of our mentors and she said that 
one thing that she thinks was really helpful was working for a bookshop because she yeah. could see what are the sort of things that people want to buy. So when she became an editor, that actually helped her a lot in like understanding audiences. But yeah, I think all of that, it's really important that you are your own self, you know, when you bring that to the table. But um, one thing, another thing that I like to ask you on that note, we said there are all these roles that you play and there are all these options in the industry. Is there one thing that you actually spend a lot of time doing that you didn't really think you would when you initially thought about, you know, working in publishing or becoming an editor? Oh, that is a good question. Um, oh, um, You can say no if you're like, no, I knew it. But <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> um, I guess weirdly it's that you spend, if anything, I think what I find interesting is that I spend perhaps less time working on the actual text itself and more time working on the strategy around the text. Um, And specifically just thinking about where I am now. So the reason I'm actually in the position I'm in is because uh, essentially my editorial director left um, in March and then we went into lockdown and had a hiring freeze. So I was kind of thrown into doing two slash three jobs um, from March, like just, yeah, juggling a lot of things. And from there I had to build like a strategy um, to take square peg forward with for the next like one to three years um and so I think I didn't in my head when I came into this role I just thought I'll be working on the text I'll be working on the admin but if anything I feel like I've spent a lot of time thinking about the business thinking about the strategy thinking about the commercial side of books a lot more than I ever thought I would be um and that's something that surprised me because I've never thought of myself as a business person I don't really understand things like profit. I don't understand numbers. I find conversations around business and profit and things like that really daunting. And if anything, I just thought I would never, ever have to be in charge of anything like that. So I think that's something that has really surprised me, but that I've actually realized is not as daunting um, and overwhelming as I thought. Um, And a lot of it is just deconstructing the language and figuring out what things mean. Um, and working just like learning eventually how numbers work and like you're never going to get there with understanding something that you've always had a kind of block or difficulty with but you can find ways of like pulling it apart so you understand it a little bit more um so I guess that's something I didn't know I would fall into but kind of have had to just take in my stride I love that. Thanks for sharing that. That's all right. <laughs> I think I think that is so true. I actually always tell anyone starting in the creative industries at large that there are two things that I personally think that everyone should learn. One of them is learning Excel. Like even if it's basic, you got to learn how to do a proper spreadsheet and read it. And the other one is how to read contracts and draft contracts. I feel like yeah. that comes into play into every single industry you know, and we're not necessarily thought there when you do, you know, arts or whatever, drama, and it is going to come into your life very soon. (laughs) So, but yeah, it's great that you managed to, you know, unblock that from your mind and get it. I think, to be honest, most jobs are about common sense and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of jargon that it's not necessarily, you know, required. I don't know. But yeah, it's good to hear that. So I know we're getting to the end of our time and I really appreciate that you're here because you're so, so busy. But 
are you or do you have any like books that you would like to recommend instagram accounts anything that you think people should be reading right now or looking at or listening to um oh yes um i'm reading a book at the moment which is one of the best books i have read um in a lot of time so it's called brown tears um brown tears white tears brown scars <laughs> and it's a great feminist book and it talks about how essentially white feminism has excluded women of color and harmed women of color historically and still continues to do so and it just feels like such a wide opening conversation about both feminism and also racism um in the 21st century and I, yeah i'm just completely blown away by it i've had so much knowledge about how indigenous women have been harmed how women from the middle east have been harmed um and how white feminism continues to exclude and harm black and brown women um today so that's a book that i would recommend to anybody who is looking to further their feminist or womanist knowledge however you choose to identify um and it's also just a really riveting read um the author ruby hamad is incredible um she's just so so brilliant um she's really astute really sharp and yeah it's it's a book that you just completely dive into but you come out learning so much and and a lot of it is hard to read a lot of it is um covers conversations that aren't easy to broach but i feel like it's a really vital read um especially after a lot of the discussions we've had this year um so yeah i would definitely recommend um reading those like reading that basically um and then in terms of accounts or like recommendations um so outside of ruby's book i would say um accounts to follow i've been following rachel cargill for ages um she i came across her i think in like may or june i've just like worshipped everything she's written since um she talks a lot about again white feminism um discrimination inclusivity all those things um and she dissects a lot of language um particularly from i guess white women who challenge her words and challenge the things she's saying um and she deconstructs them in such a really like visual and um i don't know kind of like it, she, she just illustrates them in a very kind of like easy to understand way um and i just think she's brilliant she runs a foundation um called the loveland foundation uh and she runs another platform called the great unlearn which basically is an idea of like breaking apart all of the things that you have learned and all of the kind of social constructs that you've been led to believe um so i think she's wonderful and somebody i'd really recommend following and then i guess the last people i guess i'd say um that i would recommend are no white saviors um they are fantastic they're a ugandan based um organization and they talk a lot about um racism but i guess racism within uh the umbrella of white saviorism so for instance how there's a lot of damage being done in african nations through um sex tourism which is primarily carried out by european men um through unlawful um adoption and um also investigating other things like fallen tourism um and other things like that 
And I feel like they are just very astute about a lot of things that we perhaps don't talk about when we're discussing racism and discrimination in the 21st century. So I would, yeah, recommend both of those accounts. I think that they have so much wisdom to impart and so much knowledge that you can just take and apply in your own life. Um, so, yeah, I guess those are my recommendations. I love that. I, I also found out about Rachel Cargo this year and mm-hmm. she is so good at like giving <laughs> truths and responding to like people who are surprisingly mean and her yeah. like social media and then when you I heard her uh, an interview with her once and she has like this really soft like gentle voice mm-hmm. you know and I I don't know I I can't to this day I don't understand people who are mean to each other on like social media I think it's crazy but it's just being a massive coward in the world but yeah I've never heard of uh no white savers so really excited to read about that especially as a as a Brazilian (laughs) as we have a very complicated history with colonialism as well so I'm sure that's going to be fascinating uh thank you so much for your time and before we leave can you just give us the one advice you would like to give your younger self oh that is a very good question Mm. (laughs) um you can take your time (laughs) <laughs> oh, let me think. Um, I think um, just to to just ride through everything. Um, I think a lot of experiences I've had at the time I've thought like are really rubbish um, or just not what I wanted. Um, but now I am like in the place I'm in, I'm, I now realize that all of the experiences I had were actually really worth it. Um, and I think it's very easy when you're in a series of like really rubbish situations to feel like it's like the worst, um, and that things aren't going to get better. Um, but, but like, I feel like I'm, I don't actually regret any situation I've been in. So whether that's me being like broke and being like, there is no way of me getting to a good financial position or, having really rubbish jobs and feeling completely unfulfilled um, or anything like that. Like, I feel like all of those experiences were actually important for me to grow and to become the person I am now. So I think probably just, yeah, telling myself that like, it's going to be fine. You're going to make it through. It's not that bad. Like it seems that bad, but you'll be okay. Um, So I think that's, yeah, that's probably what I tell myself. I love that. Thank you so much again for coming and I'm hoping I can talk to you again soon. I hope so. Very much so. And we'll look forward to seeing everything else that you do next. And I'll also link to your portfolio and some of your articles and everything that you recommended here so everyone can find it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Outlaw Networking Podcast. As usual, you can find all the information mentioned here on the show notes and anything else about what we do on our Instagram or our website, everything I like networking.uk or at I like networking. 
on Monday, the 22nd of March, we'll be opening the applications for a second mentoring scheme. Really excited about that. And so we are going to have a special episode with former mentees who are going to give you tips and insights into the process to better prepare you for your application. Mm-hmm.